If you've been following us uh, for the past few weeks on, on Sunday mornings, as Greg referenced, you, you'll know that we've been working through the seven signs of Jesus uh, that the Apostle John recorded in the Gospel of John. Uh, and last week, we actually skipped the sixth sign, sign number six, and went to number seven, uh, which Pula covered. Um, so today, we're going to go back to number six, uh, which is found in John chapter nine. Greg uh, mentioned last week from up here that I was unable to attend this service in person because of being ill, um, and I want to thank many of you who sent notes to see how I was doing and how the family was doing, but I do feel like a little bit of a fraud because uh, actually what happened was the prior week had been a school holiday for us, uh, for our kids, and so we went off camping as a family, um, and we had a wonderful time, and there was a swimming pool at the campsite, which was a little bit murky and a little bit dodgy. And so we all picked up sore throats and coughs and sneezes and so on. And uh, w when I called Greg and I said, hey, I'm coming to the first in-person meeting and I'm going to be preaching, but this is the situation. He said, well, let me consult with a doctor or two. Uh, and ultimately, was it, I was advised not to, not to be here, uh, even though you know, it was probably just some random bug that I had. Um, but I did then sit in the service last Sunday morning, strong, healthy, and more than a little bit embarrassed. But thanks, Pula, to, to you for, for filling in for me. I really appreciate that. So the sixth sign that we're going to be going through this morning is all about receiving sight. Um, and that reminds me of a very poignant experience that I had when I was at primary school. I was in standard four, grade six for the younger generation. Um, and uh, uh, I didn't really think of the fact that my eyes were poor, but I was in fact suffering from a genetic uh, hand down from my mom of myopia. So I, I, my eyes were gradually deteriorating, and, and I was struggling to read stuff at school, but, and, and, and on the sports field, especially cricket, I was I sucked. So um, thankfully I had an eye test, and uh, the school advised my parents that I needed to go for, for, for a test. Uh, at, at, the, at the optometrist and get, get glasses. So off I went, had the tests, specs were ordered, and I'll never forget that day. It was, I lived uh, close to Peter Maritzburg, so I was in Peter Maritzburg at this little optometrist down off uh, Church Street there. And I remember walking out with my new glasses on, and I was amazed. I could see to the end of the street over there. I could read the signs on the, on the buildings. And the colors were like so vibrant. I remember especially red was like, I'd never realized red was so bright. Um, and, and going back to school was amazing. You know, I could sit in the back row and read what was on the, on the board in front. Uh, but my eyes were going through a period of change. So um, actually, every year or two, I had to go back. My, my eyes had changed a bit more. I had to have, get a new prescription, a new set of glasses ordered. And, and although it was never the same as the first time, Every time I got a new set, I would walk out and I'd be like, wow, I didn't realize how blurry life had become uh, until I got these new glasses uh, each time. Being able to see clearly is, is really an amazing gift. And today we're going to read about a man born blind. Uh, and he received his sight. So let's turn to the text. You can follow um, on your screen at home. Uh, or uh, if you're here, of course, you can see the text up behind me. Uh, John chapter 9, starting at verse 1, and in the interest of time, I'm going to skip over some parts of the dialogue and focus on the key aspects. Verse 1, as he passed by, 
he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man who sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then we jump to verse 6. He spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And then there's this discussion with his neighbors and and people are gathering around and they're trying to figure out, is this a real miracle? Is this really the guy? What's going on here? Uh, The man himself, you know, other than saying, it's me, I was healed, couldn't really contribute much. Uh, He didn't know who uh, Jesus was. He was experiencing this new sight for a first time. He was probably quite overwhelmed. He'd never actually even seen Jesus yet at this point. So then they take him to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, where he tells the story again. And many of them are, are quite upset because it's the Sabbath day and this goes against the grain for them. They've got these hectic laws against working on the Sabbath day. They've got all these uh, nitpicky rules and they're busy trying to figure out which of these rules is he broken. And in verse 16, we pick up some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And so there was a division among them. And then the story goes on and, and they call the parents and they question them, but you know, these parents, they were probably you know, quite well-established members of their local synagogue. Jesus was definitely a persona non gratia amongst the leaders, and so they didn't want to rock the boat and put their own standing at risk. So they say to, to them, yeah, he's, he's old enough, go and ask him. And we pick up in verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, wow, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in Utterson, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Now Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, I want to deal first with this topic of suffering, sin, and healing. It's interesting to note that the disciples immediately assumed that it was sin that caused the man's blindness. Did you notice that? 
The only question was actually whether it was the man's sin or his parents. But Jesus indicates that it's neither. Instead, the works of God are about to be showcased in and through this man who was born blind. It's so easy for us to jump to the wrong conclusions or to take a simplistic, generalized view in this area, an area where I think a huge amount of hurt has been caused in and through the church over many centuries. Now, it is definitely true that sin and suffering are very much linked in a generalized sense. It was after the first sin in the Garden of Eden that consequences were introduced and suffering was born. And much of the suffering in the world today is the direct consequence of man's greed or pride or lust or selfishness or any other kinds of sins committed willfully by men and women. But that doesn't mean that sin can automatically be tied to an individual case. For example, an innocent person may be hit in a car by a drunk driver. That clearly doesn't imply that the victim is suffering the direct consequences of their own sin. Nevertheless, there are cases where suffering is a direct result. For example, that drunk driver who perhaps found himself in hospital paralyzed from the neck down. But even then, it's not an automatic link with relative severity. This is how big the sin is, therefore this is how much the suffering is. You can't make that link. Sorry, I've lost my place here for a second. Um, okay, so, so we, we can't make that link between sin and suffering. Because perhaps the same guy who drove drunk was at a party with a friend who drove home and the only thing he suffered was a hangover in bed the next morning. So it's clear we cannot simplistically draw these links and declare suffering as an immediate and relative punishment as a consequence for sin. Um, and I think we all know this. I think we all understand this, this concept. It's actually in the area of sickness that I think more mistakes are made in drawing incorrect links. In sickness, each situation needs to be considered as a unique case. For example, Jesus, on numerous occasions, healed people and forgave their sin at the same time. Um, consider, for example, the paralytic man that was lowered through the roof. Do you remember that? Jesus forgave his sin and healed him at the same time and explained the, the, the link between the two. But in our text today, in John chapter 9, Jesus explicitly refutes that link. He says this is not about sin. And the Bible provides many examples of those who are not healed um, and who learn to trust God in their suffering. Uh, for example, Timothy, some of you would know, he used to have stomach issues. And Paul's advice was how to deal with it. Uh, Paul himself was uh, asked God three times to free him from his so-called thorn in the flesh. Um, and God denied him that, that healing. Uh, instead, he explained to Paul that he had a purpose in that, and he wanted Paul to live with it uh, and deal with it. You can read that in 2 Corinthians 12. Neither of these cases had anything to do with sin. So making a simplistic or having a simplistic view of the direct and individualistic and relative link between sin and suffering is just not appropriate. And it's dangerous and, uh, uh, for us to, to put that on people. And I think this is an important teaching for us as a church. Uh, we could easily spend hours on this. I'm not going to do that this morning. I think 
and hope that the point at a high level is, is clear. Um, and it's an important foundation for today's text because the main purpose of this account is not to get stuck up on was the sin and what about the healing. In fact, the, the, the whole story of today is not so much about the healing of the man's eyes. I'm sure Jesus loved to, to heal the man and it was part of what he was doing in the guy's life. But the main message is that Jesus was performing the miracle as a signpost to point and highlight our need to be able to see. And there's a very clear implication that the seeing must then be accompanied by an action response from the heart. So I'd like to explore this concept and the implications for our lives today by looking at three key characters in the story. Um, we're going to look at the Pharisees, um, then at the man born blind, and then at Jesus himself. So first, the Pharisees. Now, there's been a lot written about this group um, and about how they, they were supposed to be the guardians of the Holy Scriptures. They were the, supposed to be the ones who would point people to God. Um, and in fact, they were the ones who were supposed to help people to see. Uh, their problem was that they had re received a chance to see themselves. They had been the guardians of the scriptures. They had the heritage of the Jewish nation. And they had rather chosen to build an empire for themselves, one made out of man-made rules and of control. And consequently, they became blinder than ever. Uh, and I think they were blind probably in two key ways. Number one, they were blind to the strangling nature of their own rules and to the, their own hypocrisy. And secondly, they were blind to the fact that the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus himself, was standing in front of them and they, they couldn't even recognize him. But what made it worse was these guys claimed spiritual superiority and they claimed a monopoly on truth. But it's easy to stand in judgment of these guys. Uh, let, let's not do that. I invite you to join me in taking that mirror and turning it inwards. Um, and I'd like to start with just a quick story myself. I, I remember a particular time in my life where I gradually rusted in my faith. Selfishness and prioritizing my own personal pursuits, uh, perhaps putting the expectation of others above the expectations of God. These things were starting to eat away at me and creep in. And my relationship with God was growing, growing stale and was getting ignored. And the trouble was, I had enough sight to be able to see that what I said I believed and the way I was living were at odds with each other. And that was uncomfortable. And so what I did was, I started making sure that I was attending church, that I was saying grace at meal times regularly, you know, I wasn't swearing, I wasn't, you know, getting drunk. And I had a couple of, I had a checklist of my favorite rules that made me feel good enough or, or that I could point to and say, you know, you're actually doing okay. Even then it was a bit scratchy and it was really useful when I saw someone else not doing such a good job because then I could say, you're better than that guy over there. At least you're better than, than him. Maybe you're in that camp, that camp this morning. Maybe you've gradually cooled off. Uh, it could be that you were at some point disillusioned or hurt by somebody or by the church. 
Or maybe there was that career opportunity a couple of years ago that really sucked you in. Or, or maybe as your kids have been growing up, you've really poured yourself into them. And none of these things are necessarily bad in themselves. But something may have distracted you from the heart of God. Others may even say, no, she's, she's doing okay. Or, yeah, he's, he's a regular at our church. But inside, you know when you look in the mirror that you've lost that relationship with God. And Jesus wants to open your eyes today to see that rust that's set in, um, to see the grace of God that wants to draw you closer. Because seeing is the first step towards a heart renovation. Now, in the next chapter of this Gospel of John, chapter 10, we're not going to cover it today, but in verse 10, Jesus talks about the fact that he came to give us life, and life in abundance. And if you're not seeing God working in your life today, then I want to suggest that perhaps you've become a bit like I was in primary school. You've got those glasses, but over a period of time, your vision has deteriorated and become a bit blurry, and you haven't actually even realized it. And it's time to go back for a test, to get a new set, and to be able to see clearly again. And Jesus wants to do that for you today. This will require an action response from the heart. And as you respond in faith, so you'll start to see more clearly and be able to take steps to then grow closer to him and see more and more clearly. Okay. So remember, we're looking at three characters. The first one was the Pharisees. Uh, That's the one we've just covered. The second one we're going to look at is the man who was healed. Uh, This was the man born blind. Others around him claimed to be able to see, but he couldn't even be sure about that. He had no way of testing that. Maybe you've been born blind. Maybe you've never known the grace and the goodness of God, although you've heard others talk about him. Maybe they invited you to join us here this morning or to dial in online, to connect online. I want to personally endorse Jesus to you today. He wants to open your eyes. He's into seeing so that you can respond to him and tap into that amazing and wonderful life that you could experience through his goodness. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you, and he's calling you this morning to put your trust in him. If you feel a tugging at your heart as I say this, I want to say that's the work of God, and I would encourage you not to ignore that. When our eyes are opened to see the goodness of God, it takes a step of faith to respond. And by reaching out to declare him as Lord and as King of your life, and to embark on a journey of growing to know him and to love him. Now, we talked about sin earlier and about suffering. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe there's suffering, maybe there isn't. Maybe it's related to some sin, maybe it's not. That's not really the point here. The point is that sin does separate us from God. Whether you see it or not, whether you're suffering consequences or not, is irrelevant. There is an underlying barrier that blocks you from God. And Jesus is the only one who can take that away. Jesus is the one, just after what we read in our text this morning, who went on, and you can, I encourage you to read the whole book of John, he went on to be brutally murdered on a Roman cross. And he did that willingly and intentionally for you, to take your sin, to purchase your freedom. And when Jesus take, take, changes your life, it's like getting 
a new pair of glasses for the first time, and for the first time you see, you could kind of see a bit before, but you didn't realize what it was like to see clearly. If this is you, I'm going to pray for you a little bit later, um, and I'm going to ask that once we've done that and once we've ended off, that you'd reach out to us. Either come and meet us uh, afterwards if you're here or connect with us online uh, if you're tuning in. And we'd love to help you grow in this newfound faith. All right, so that was the second character. The Pharisees, we then we did the man born blind. The third is the best, uh, of course, as we turn our eyes to Jesus. Um, I remind you that the seven signs highlighted in the Gospel of John are all about teaching us about Jesus. These signs are the great reveal, uh, helping us to understand more about him and about his purposes. Uh, Now, I've already talked about the fact that this sign showcased how Jesus wanted to help people to see. And I'd like to now speak especially to many of us who would call ourselves regulars or, or, or committed or maybe mature Christians. We know that Jesus is our role model. We know that. Sometimes I think we forget that. He not only came to die on the cross for us, which we celebrate a lot, but he also came to show us how to live. Um, And I'd like to highlight three points for us to consider deeply this morning. In verse 1, we see that Jesus was passing by with his disciples. Now, those of us familiar with the Bible would be aware of how often Jesus was passing by. He, He bumped into somebody. He, he, he was there when something was happening, and he responded to the situation. Jesus was so good at weaving life-giving impact into his daily passing by. And in this case, he recognized that his father had prepared and created a context for the glory of God to be showcased. And he stepped right in, and he took the opportunity in front of him. I wonder how often we say, yeah, I'm, I'm too busy. Or even worse, sorry, I, I don't have time for you. I do that. I remember being very deeply impacted uh, a number of years ago when somebody, I, I was explaining how busy I was and, uh, you know, I didn't have time for things. And somebody explained to me, you know, we, we all have 24 hours in a day. That's one thing that is equal. Um, what we get to do is choose how to spend it. So I want to ask you, committed one here this morning or connected online, do you have time to invest the wonderful truth and goodness of Jesus into people's lives? How is your passing by? Is it like a whirlwind? Or is it a bit calmer than that? Do we demonstrate it in practical terms? I want to dig into that a little bit. I'll consider myself first. So I have a full-time job. Uh, I have a lot of set meetings at certain times that I need to honor. Um, I have periods of working late into the night for days on end. I have a family. I have a lot of things that I like to do. Uh, and and that's, that's okay. That's all perfectly fine. But how many of us actually never take the time to see and to respond to what God is doing around us, and we use the excuse of our busyness to satisfy ourselves. 
wondered what it would be like if we were to build a little bit more fat, a little bit more margin into our day, so that, or maybe just even into our week, so that we could be delayed, so that we could respond to the situation in front of us or to the person that we bump into. Perhaps sometimes where we don't have to say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I want us to think about this a little bit. And I want to remind you that it's usually not with our words, but with our actions that we say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy for you. The second point I want to highlight is what Jesus did towards the end of chapter 9. Do you remember after the man had been healed and there was the, the, the neighbors and the parents and the Pharisees and everybody had their go and eventually the man was walking off by himself and Jesus came back to him. He went and sought him out. The eyes were healed, but for Jesus that, that was far from the end. He was after the man's heart. Jesus wanted his heart to see and to respond to him. The healing was just a sign. This is not a story about physical healing. And as Jesus returned to him, he was able to lead him into a place of heart worship, heart response. Jesus wants to make eyes that are blind to see so that hearts can be changed, to become humble, to become responsive to God, to willingly choose to make him Lord. And not just to make him Lord in a vocal declaration, but also in a changed life, a life that clearly sees the will of God and takes steps of faith on that journey every day. So I, I want to challenge us committed Christians. Do we ever go back like Jesus did with a healed man? Are we willing to truly invest in others? Now, now we can't do this with everyone, of course not. And we're, we're not the savior of anyone. But are we making time to disciple someone? Jesus' great commission to his disciples was to go and make disciples. And as we think about this, you know, I, I know a lot of us are doing a lot of things. And, and you, know, you know where your heart is. But maybe through this pandemic, or maybe through the busyness of life, or some of the challenges that have been on the road, Maybe, maybe your prescription has changed. Maybe it's time to go back and you know, just get a reset. Uh, maybe there's been a bit of a blurring that you haven't noticed because it's been over a period of years. Um, and I want to encourage us as committed Christians not to just feel good about attending this morning, or dialing in, but to think about where we stand with God and whether we're living out that great commission. So the final point I want to make is implicit in today's text. You won't read it here in black and white, although you will find it elsewhere in the Bible, in the accounts of Jesus' life. Jesus was frequently sneaking off to go and get down on his knees. He was connected to his father. He pursued his father's heart. That was how he could be so focused on his mission. That was how he could discern the work of God in the man's life. That was how he could perform miracles of healing. And that was how he could find the commitment to go and follow up and to lead people deeper. 
the closer our daily journey with God, the more impactful our passing by will be in the lives of those around us, the more effectively we'll be able to encourage others along the journey. I want to invite you to join me and stand up and close your eyes and as we pray. I want to pray for, for all of us in three, three different categories. Um, I want to start by praying for those whose love for Jesus has perhaps grown a bit cold. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing example we have of Jesus helping the man to see and to, to respond. I want to thank you for the account of the Pharisees, and it's easy to look down our noses at them. But Lord, this morning, I want to pray for anybody who's grown cold in their walk with you, in their relationship with you, where it's become routine, where it's become distracted. And I pray, Father, that you would help anybody who's... <laughs> who's feeling this morning in that place to, to reinvigorate them, to reignite them. I pray you'd give them a, a new set of glasses, Lord, that'll help them see clearly again and pursue your heart. I pray that you'd give them the faith to respond to what you're calling out to them this morning. And then those who perhaps feel like, like that blind man, you've never really seen. You've never really put your faith or trust in Jesus before today, but God is tugging at your heart. God, I want to pray for those that are in that position this morning. Lord, thank you that your purpose for coming to the earth, your purpose for going to the cross, your purpose for teaching us was because you wanted to seek out and to save those that were lost, save them from their sins, save them from a Christless eternity, Save them from a mundane and meaningless life. Lord, I pray for an act of faith, a step of faith to respond to you this morning. I pray for each one of those that they would reach out to you, put their trust in you, and find new, new life, new hope, vibrant colors coming into clear vision. And then for those of us that would call ourselves committed, and God, I pray that you would help us to become better disciples of yours, making disciples. Lord, we want to know the people around us in a deep way so that they feel known by us, they feel noticed by us, they feel loved by us. Lord, we want to grow ourselves as we anchor ourselves in you and we grow in being disciples of others encouragers of others. And God, we want to we sow the truth of the gospel, this good news about Jesus, into the lives of those that have no hope today, that, that don't know what tomorrow will hold, that are tossed and turned by the waves of politics and pandemics and economics and the grind of every day. Lord, help us to be those that share your love extravagantly with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.